Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program this week, and I trust you're enjoying the series that we're doing on the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's been an absolute joy teaching this series, and we're going to today begin with chapter 9. We just finished chapter 8 just uh, last week, and uh, we trust that you are tuning in every weekend and following along with this series, as I believe the book of Hebrews is probably one of the most incredible treaties of New Testament truth that's in the New Testament. Uh, probably it in the book of Galatians along with Romans would be as about as clear of a teaching on the New Covenant than any that are out there. Uh, but if you have missed any of these programs and you would like to go back or you just watch them and you enjoy them, you say, well, I sure would like to see that again, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and we have everything we have aired to date there is on our YouTube channel, and uh, there's also a podcast that you can listen to that has the audio portions of it, as well as there is an RSS feed for Android devices. The easiest way to do all of that is to simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com, and up in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons to, uh, you know, our, our Facebook uh, public profile page, our YouTube page, our podcast, our uh, RSS feed for Android, all you got to do is click on that. It'll take you directly to our YouTube page and you can watch everything we have aired to date on demand or you can listen to the podcast as well with the audio portions of this. And we just want to be a blessing to you. We're putting it out on so many different forums and platforms because, uh, you know, we can reach people at their leisure, especially if they don't DVR us or record the programs. Uh, I want to also say that if you, if you go to the website, you can certainly uh, find there's a lot of our products as far as CDs and audio series. Our, our itinerary is there where we're going to be. We would love to see you somewhere. We would run the uh, addresses and uh, places that we're going to be, but it timestamps the program so much that we don't do that. But the easiest way to do it is go to my website and check my itinerary. We'd love to meet you somewhere, and we uh, just... Uh, enjoy meeting our audience for the first time. Uh, let me say that some of the books, though, that we do have is, uh, first of all, we have The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I wrote this book, uh, and uh, it's from the book of Revelation, and it's the only book that the title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Sadly enough, it's probably the only book we don't preach Jesus from. But I don't think you can go wrong if you preach Jesus from the book of Revelation. And really, the book of Revelation is a book of the consummation of the redemptive work of salvation. I believe you'll be blessed. If you've been afraid of the book of Revelation, this book will take the fear out for you, and I believe you enjoy it instead of be afraid of it. The second book that I wrote is titled The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And in this book, we talk about uh, the scripture in Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus said, come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. I'll teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And what we do in this book is we show you how the grace of God flows from rest. And it's a powerful book with a lot of pictures in it, of, of prophetic pictures of how uh, what Jesus did on the Sabbath day, for instance, and the miracles he did powerfully speak 
uh, of what flows from rest. I, I, I could talk about all these books all day because I wrote them and they're, they're just power packed full of stuff. You'd be blessed to get them though. But my latest book is from Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. If I would say you're going to get only one book, this would be the book I would get because it will help you make a shift from law to grace. It, as I, you know, the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. But what this book does is it marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. And in this book, what we show you is that under the old covenant, you were governed by rules on rocks. But in the new covenant, you're governed by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's a missing piece uh, to the gospel of grace. And I think you uh, would be blessed by getting that book. And the only last thing I would mention is we have a message of the month club. And uh, if you'd like to be part of our message of the month, we send out one CD a month that uh, is from somewhere we preached in the world. And you'll be blessed by it if you get it because it's power packed. It's from some service we've been in. And it is for $7 a month or $70 a year. And that becomes part of our partner base. It helps us, of course, do television. So that being said, I want to get in the Word today. And thank you for joining us again. I really do. Uh, we've had such good response from the series. Uh, that I, I, I've just so enjoyed teaching it, just uh, even in studying it again for myself. But we're going to begin in Hebrews 9 in just a few moments. But I want you to say, uh, by way of just simple review, the eighth chapter of Hebrews says this, of the th And of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is what it all adds up to. And he starts down through this list. But as I was studying the last several chapters of the book of Hebrews, preparing my heart to teach this series, uh, you know, the rest of the series, uh, I really begin to see that Hebrews 8 was the beginning of the summary. Uh, and the, the Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13 are of the summation. These, this is the, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. And he really begins to get into detail about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and the last chapter talked about the fact that the first covenant had waxed old and was vanishing away. And what, uh, that had God had found fault with the first covenant, He was about to replace it with a new covenant. Now he comes into chapter 9 and that sets the stage for where we want to start today. It says in chapter 9 verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over at the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. One of the first thoughts that really began to, uh, uh, I felt like, be quickened to me by the Spirit was the fact that he said, then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. That is, it was a natural, tangible uh, sanctuary. Uh, we, I think we covered pretty well in our last uh, segment how that, uh, you know, when God called Moses up the mountain on Mount Sinai, He said to him, see that you make everything that I showed you in the heavens 
after the pattern that I showed you in the heavens. When he opened to him the body of heaven, the scripture says, in its fullness, wherein was a pavement of blue sapphire. So the tabernacle of Moses was a earthly picture of the heavenly sanctuary itself. Now that's pretty powerful to me. And uh, man, there's a lot that could be said about the tabernacle of Moses, which would be a probably a real long series in itself. Uh, that being said, I, I want you to see that the fact was that God said to Moses, if you build in the earth what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. And in this tabernacle is pictured so many things uh, that it, 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 it gives us a view of, I believe, redemption and salvation. You know, just the fact that um, the, just the fact, for instance, that when the tabernacle was pitched, it was right in the center of the camp of Israel. That, to me, powerfully speaks of the fact that what ought to be the centerpiece or the center of our lives should be the kingdom of God. And uh, his, his, you know, not, not so much, uh, you know, a physical place, but what should be central in our lives should be the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things are added to you. But it was the central, it was right in the center of the camp, and so many things could be said about it. I will just elaborate a little bit. But when the camp was at rest, interestingly enough, there was three tribes that would be camped on the north, three tribes that would be camped on the south, three tribes ca uh, camped on the east, and three tribes camped on the west. The camp of Israel, when the camp was at rest, was they were camped in the shape of a cross. All of the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses are in the shape of a cross, with the mercy seat uh, to the altar of incense and out to the outer court to the brazen laver and to the brazen altar. And then to the right, you've got a table of showbread, and to the left, you have a, 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 a golden candlestick. And what I'm simply saying is even the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses were arranged in the shape of a cross and all of them were at a bleeding spot where Jesus had bled when he hung on Calvary's cross. You say, well, what is important about that, Brother House? Well, the thing of it is, is when we're the camp of God and if we're at rest, what brings us into rest is an understanding of the work of the cross. And I can't help but remember or think about even Balaam when he was hired by Balak to curse the people of God he went up on the mountain and he tried to curse them. But the third time, especially the third time, that he went up the mountain to try to curse the people of God, being hired by Balak to do so. And interestingly enough, uh, Revelation chapter, I believe it is, chapter 2 talks about uh, they have the error of Balaam. One of the churches there had the error of Balaam. And I think the error of Balaam is prophetic ministries that are hired to put God's people back up under a curse. Now, the only way you can curse people in the new covenant is to put them up under the law because they that are of the works of the law are under a curse. That's the only way you can curse people in the new covenant. And I think we have a lot of prophets of, uh, uh, like Balaam who are prophets for hire who are trying to curse God's people when you're not under a curse. That, that, ought, that ought to be so clear, even especially when I've taught in the last segment, chapter 8, about Jeremiah. I said, listen, man, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And I talked about even generational curses. You are not under the curse. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. 
But when Balaam went up that mountain, and he was on the mountain, and the third time he went up that mountain, as he stretched and he looked out over the valley, and he saw Israel. This is what he said. He said, When I beheld Israel in her tents. If he beheld Israel in her tents, he was seeing the camp at rest. And if he was seeing the camp at rest, from the top of this mountain, he was seeing a camp that looked like it was in the cross. You say, what's the significance? Because when Balaam saw the people of God at rest in the cross, he reared back and instead of cursing him, he said, if God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? The word has gone out of his mouth. It will not, he said, and it will not, you know, I will not reverse it. God said, I will not reverse it. They're blessed. And when they're in the, when they're at rest, see, God will bless, there are blessings that flow from people that are at rest. Because rest really is, you know, uh, significant because in order to rest, you really have to be walking in faith. If you're not in rest, it's because you're walking in fear. And faith begins to, you know, help you uh, stand in a place where you're trusting God. And that's what really produces the rest. The second thing that I want to say about this tabernacle is he said that it was a worldly sanctuary. In other words, it was a visible, not to the first tabernacle, he's going to talk about it in just a little while and say that the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first tabernacle stood, and we'll get into that in detail. But I want you to see something that I believe is very, very important to see in shifting from old covenant to new covenant, or you're not going to understand types and shadows in the scriptures. In the, uh, in, in, the, in the old covenant, it was the natural, tangible, touchable, feelable, smellable, uh, natural realm. Everything had divine ordinances, divers washings. Uh, it had all kinds of sacrifices, and it had a worldly sanctuary. One of the things that so spoke to me, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself because uh, I'll get to it when I get on over into the 12th chapter of Hebrews But he says this to them. He said, for you did not come to the mountain that might be touched. Talking about Mount Sinai. You did not come to blackness and darkness and tempest and a voice of words. You did not come to uh, the mount that uh, was altogether on a smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And you didn't come to the God who said, if you touch the mountain, you'd be thrust through with the dart. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. But what really rung in my spirit was he starts out in chapter, in there in in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, about halfway down that chapter. He said, For you did not come to the mount that can be touched. Let me just kind of set the stage here a little bit. Everything about the book of Hebrews is a shift from an old covenant to a new covenant. He is writing to Hebrews who are 30-some years into the New Covenant. They are being persecuted. They're being sawn asunder. Uh, They've lost loved ones in the arenas. They're being imprisoned. They've suffered the spoiling of their goods. They've been kicked out of their uh, synagogues and out of their... uh, uh, They're not going to the temple any longer offering animal sacrifices. But can you imagine, imagine this with me, all your whole life, Everything about your religion was centered around the smell of incense burning in the temple. The sights and the sounds of the procession of the priest as they would approach the most holy place. The smell of the censers as they would 
of the incense as it would go through the tabernacle. The, the smell of the altars and, 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 and the, the, the bleeding of lambs that were being sacrificed. In other words, this natural, tangible, physical building tabernacle was the center of their universe for so long that they were all, everything, in other words, you had done it this way so long that this is all tangible stuff. This is touchable stuff. This is, you can, you can, you can smell uh, the, the smell of the fat of the offerings as it's ascending up. You can smell the incense burning. You can see the priest as they would, gar, uh, you know, array themselves in their uh, garments to go in before the Lord. But, no, but what Paul uh, or whoever wrote Hebrews begins to say is, you've not come to a mount that can be touched. In other words, this one's not as tangible. It's not as touchable. That one had a worldly sanctuary, but this one, there's a spiritual house. This one, the tabernacle of God, is with men. That one had, if you will, Hebrews 12 again says, for you have not come to the mount that might be touched. You've not come to blackness, darkness. You've not come, to t but you have come. You're not coming to, you have already come. You have come to Mount Zion, and you have already come to the city of the living God, and to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven. And you come to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant. So what he's saying is everything about this is about the shift. You've been used to living in the tangible, touchable, natural, worldly sanctuary of earthly expressions of divers' washings. And now this thing is shifting into a spiritual temple, a spiritual city, a spiritual offerings. Uh, we're no longer doing the divers' washings and the incense burning. Now our praise is the incense and our prayers. So everything shifts from the natural to the spiritual. I believe this is where still some of our confusion lies. When we begin to look at some of these things, uh, we start thinking, well, you know, uh, we're still looking for the tangible. Uh, we're still looking for the physical. And God was trying to give us something that was better than just an earthly, worldly sanctuary. I'm so glad that in order to enter the presence of God today, I don't have to fly to the Middle East somewhere and walk into a building. I'm glad the presence of God is ever-present and that God was really trying to bring the heavens and the earth back together, if you will, in a marriage kind of, or an interface where there would be access. <coughs> into the realms of the Spirit, excuse me. And so when he says that you've not come to a mount that can be touched, or that he's talking about this worldly sanctuary, he said, you, listen, everything about this covenant is shifting. It's, it's, it's it, you know, it's better. It, uh, it, you know, as I, I've already begun to share with you, uh, you know, from the very first parts of this, these scriptures, we talked about how Jesus is better. Hebrews 4 there's a better promised land. Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about there remains a rest for the people of God. And Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it clearly tells you that the promised land is no longer a piece of real estate. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the promised land. And once you get in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you enter into that promised land called rest, there's an outflow of milk and honey. We see that we move from the natural, Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 really talks about moving from the Levitical priesthood with all of its natural sacrifices and offerings and uh, divers washings and it moves into a Melchizedek priesthood. It moves into Jesus who is the mediator 
of a better covenant. Not of this tabernacle, for instance, to say of this earth, but it was going to be a better tabernacle. So when we get down into this book, and we're going to probably, I probably jumped way ahead of myself there to get into Hebrews 11, but what happens is, is that everything about this shifts from a natural tabernacle to a spiritual tabernacle. For instance, now, uh, even though we don't have a physical natural tabernacle, he's explaining this. He said for the first, uh, uh, he said for uh, there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, before you got into that, that, that uh, into that room, there was an outer court, and it had the blood of these animals that was poured out and burnt on a brazen altar, which really, see, powerfully, that was the natural. But today, in our walk of redemption, our response is we apply not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus. But how many know that that's not the natural, tangible, physical blood that we put in something and pour on us? No, that's the, that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the blood of Jesus, that was really for us. Then the second one, there was divers washings, the second piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It had uh, a great big brazen sea or brazen laver, and it was like a big bathtub that was full of water from the smitten rock. Now that's not an accident. Now I could get into a lot of typology here of what all these things speak of. I'm just giving you an overview. That particular piece of furniture to me speaks of two things. Number one, it speaks of water baptism, because at the brazen altar, we applied the blood of the Lamb, and we received the sacrifice of Jesus. We confessed our sin over the Lamb, and the Lamb was slain. He took our sin. But the second thing would be the brazen labor, or our entering into the covenant or circumcision, if you will, in the new covenant, water baptism was equivalent to the circumcision in the old covenant. So the old covenant was a circumcision in the flesh. That was the worldly, the natural. In the new covenant, it's a circumcision in the heart. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, so this, it's not a natural, but it moves into the realm of the Spirit. So we do that through water baptism. The second thing it speaks to me is it speaks to me of the washing of the water by the Word. And then we come into this sanctuary that he's talking about here. This first, the first tabernacle was the first room uh, after you come out of the, the, the whole outer court experience is where the oil of anointing flows from the central shaft of the candlestick out to the branches. Now that powerfully speaks to me. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that if you look at this candlestick, it had on each branch a knob, a bud, and an almond. A knob, a bud, and an almond. Speaking again of three dimensions of salvation. Outer court, holy place, most holy place. Say it another way. Born again, spirit-filled, come into full maturity. But it had, if you counted all of the ornaments that was on that candlestick, that candlestick had 66 total sets of ornaments, and there are 66 books in the Bible, and the Scripture says, Thy word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So the word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, are, uh, you know, uh, again, that's not the tangible physical. It is the spiritual and indwelling. The oil of anointing flows to us. We could say it like this. Again, there was a central shaft. This thing looked like a vine because it had knobs, buds, and almonds. He's the vine, and we're the branches. And He is the man whose name, He is the Word. He is the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of it was about Him. 
but it flows out to the branches of the candlestick. And uh, it's just amazing to me the powerful typology that flows when you start to look at it. But in the New Covenant, see, we're now we're a city set on a hill. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel. But we've become the light of the world, a city set on a hill that can't be hid. Do you see it? Natural, worldly, old covenant, spiritual, and, and, uh, and uh, representative of the heavenlies in the New Covenant. Now you come to the table of showbread. Of course, there were two stacks of six loaves of bread. Could get into what all that means. Don't have really the time to, to deal with that, but it's called the bread of presence or the bread of His face. Jesus was the true bread that came down from heaven. And just to briefly tell you, there were six loaves on one side, which speaks Jesus was crucified, died, buried. He was quickened, raised, and seated. That's the six things that He did in His redemptive work. But you said, but Brother Howes, there are two stacks. Yes, there are. That's because I was crucified with Him. I was buried with Him. I died with Him. I was quickened with Him. I was raised with Him. And I'm right now seated with Him. See, that's the part a lot of people are missing. They're preaching what He did. But there's another stack of six loaves of bread that when you feed on it, it becomes personal to what He's doing in you. It's your identification with it and uh, your appropriation of the redemptive work of Christ. And so that was natural physical bread. But once again, we're not talking about a worldly sanctuary or the tangibleness of it. We're talking about a spiritual house built on spiritual things. Uh, the, the golden altar of incense also stood in that realm of the holy place, which speaks of the prayer, praise, and worship of the saints. And the altar of incense, today we know that we don't go into the house of God and offer up. Uh, we're not burning incense. We don't have uh, censers, at least in our church. But we do believe that our prayers and our praise and our worship ascend up to God. What I love about this altar is that all the fire in the tabernacle was lit by the fire that came from the brazen altar. And when that first fire was lit, it was like a laser beam of light that shot out of the mercy seat and exploded the offering on, of the sin offering at the brazen laver. So what it does is it points to the sacrifice of Jesus at, this, at, at the brazen altar. And the coal from that is what ignites our worship. In other words, if our worship and our praise and our prayer is not being lit by the finished work or the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It is strange fire. But once again, this is not a physical, tangible, touchable fire. This is something that is spiritual again. And so I just want you to see that when you get to the book of Revelation, it's not talking about natural buildings. It is when you're talking about Old Covenant stuff. It's not talking about what, in other words, there's a shift. Old Covenant, natural. New Covenant, spiritual house. Old Covenant, natural city. New Covenant, you are the city of God. Old Covenant, you had a priest after the order of Levi. And in the New Covenant, you have a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, we're about to run out of time. We're going to pick up on this again next week. But I just wanted to show you the shift, first of all, in Hebrews 9. Uh, look, if you, if you are enjoying what we're saying, help us take this kind of gospel around the world by sowing a seed into this ministry. You can do it by calling the number on the screen or by going to our website or by sending it via check or money order to the number and the letter or the address that will come on the screen. It's your faithful partnership that helps us take the gospel around the world. Don't wait on someone else to do it. We do need your help to do it. God bless you for taking time today to listen to us. Tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you. 
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.